So if you're looking for me up front, I'm not up there. I'm back here in the back, right over here by the soundboard. And if you're wondering why, it's because we're launching this new series called Next Step Leadership. And leadership doesn't start at the front. Leadership doesn't start on the stage. Leadership doesn't start in the spotlight. Leadership starts in the back. Leadership starts in obscurity. Leadership starts with humility. Leadership starts when ordinary people get in touch with their extraordinary purpose. Leadership starts when everyday folks like you and me begin to get a vision for our life that's bigger than ourselves. And then we begin to not only live in that vision, but we begin to influence and impact other people in their vision, in their greater purpose for themselves. Leadership doesn't start with presidents and CEOs and kings and governors and business leaders. It starts with you. Leadership starts with you. In a church, leadership is right here. You don't look at the front of the stage for leadership. You look at yourself. Because leadership is influence. At the very core of leadership, if you distill it down, that's what it is. Before you decide that this sermon doesn't apply to you today, if you're a mom, you have influence. You're a leader. If you're a dad, you have influence and you're a leader. If you are a friend with anybody, I mean, if you even only have one friend, you have influence and you're a leader. If, you're, if you are a colleague, if you have any co-workers, you have influence and you're a leader. If you, if you are a student and you have any other fellow students, you have influence. You are a leader because leadership distills down to one word and that is influence. One word, influence. Um, in 2008, I was in law school in Arizona and... I felt in my heart that God wanted me to move back to St. Louis where I grew up and to work at a, at a firm here in St. Louis and then eventually to plant a church in University City. This is something that had been on my heart for a long time and I just felt that this, this was the direction for my life. When I saw the, the, the vision for my life, the future for my life, I saw myself living in St. Louis you know, where I grew up and, and planting and leading a church. I was in Arizona. It was my final year of law school. I had been offered a job at a law firm in Arizona. I had accepted that job because I didn't really have any connections here in St. Louis, no professional connections. I had some family that remained here, some cousins, and I had a few friends that were still here, but I didn't have a network of professional connections at all. And so I just didn't know how it was going to work for me to get back to St. Louis. It was the end of my, uh, my law school time. Uh, the, the, the offers had gone out and I accepted a job uh, to stay in Arizona. And I'll never forget, I was, it was after class, I was sitting with a group of students, we were all talking about what we were going to do after law school, and I sort of admitted to this group of students, I said, you know, I feel like my calling in life, my purpose in life, is to go back to St. Louis and, uh, you know, to work at a firm, but to eventually plant a church. 
And, you know, everybody kind of told what their vision was and their future was. Um, after the conversation, there was a, a law student. Her name was Chelsea Durkin, one of the youngest law students in our class. And I had gone to law school late, so she was, you know, 14, 15 years younger than me. Uh, and I'll never forget because she said, you know, after kind of everyone had left, she said, hey, Brent, you know, if you really feel that that's what you're supposed to be doing, and especially if you really feel that that's what God is calling you to do, then you should pursue that. You should go for that. Because I hadn't done anything. I had not made any steps uh, to go down that path. And so that conversation ended, and it, it was really like a 10-second conversation. It was like a very, it was like a three-sentence conversation. But afterwards, I thought, man, you know, she's right. Like, that's, that's right. That day, I picked up the phone, and I called a recruiter here in St. Louis. I called a, a, a law firm, and I said, hey, my name is Brent. I'm from, I'm from St. Louis originally, but I live in Arizona. But I want to get back, and I want to work for your law firm. And the recruiter said, um, well, our application deadline has passed. Um, so it's too late to really submit under the normal process. But we do have a slot open. So if you want to send us your resume and a writing sample, then, you know, we'll take a look at it. So I sent a resume and a writing sample. And then a couple days later, I got a call. And they said, we want to set up a phone interview. They set up a phone interview. I talked to somebody there at the firm for, you know, 45 minutes. A couple minutes after that, I got another call. They said, hey, we want to set up an interview. We're going to fly you to St. Louis. Flew me to St. Louis, eight-hour interview. After that, they said, we want you to come for a summer. So I came for a summer, and I worked for a summer. After that, I got a call, and they said, hey, we want you to come back to St. Louis and work for our firm. And it was a game changer for me that I don't know if it would have happened, but for this conversation, this 20-second conversation with someone who was much younger than me, someone who was, uh, you know, a friend, uh, an acquaintance, but didn't have a great deal of influence in my life, uh, but somebody who was just willing to step into their little sphere of influence and say, hey, I think I can help direct you towards your higher purpose. I want to encourage you to step into your higher purpose. That was leadership. That changed the trajectory of my life. That conversation with someone who had no official position, no official title, didn't answer to this person in any way. But in that moment, she was a leader. And if you think about your life and who has impacted your life the most, it may be a president, it may be a governor, it may be a prince or a king, but more than likely, it's a friend or it's a colleague or it's a teacher or it's a parent or a college professor, somebody that spoke into your life and, and, and tried to direct you or tried to influence you towards your higher purpose. So today you may be sitting there going, look, leadership series, okay, great, but I'm kind of not, not in that realm. I don't have a position. I don't have a title. I don't have any formal power, right? But that's looking at leadership backwards because positions and titles and formal power arise out of influence, not the other way around, right? They arise because you have exerted some influence. You have exhibited some influence. That's where the title, that's where uh, the position comes from. So I have one goal and one goal only for us today, for you today. And that is that I want you 
to accept the reality that you are a leader, that you have influence, and therefore, by definition, you are a leader. And so then the question then becomes, what kind of leader are you going to be? That's what I want you to buy in today. My only goal is that at the end of today, you say, yes, I'm a leader. This applies to me. Now, I know a lot of us have ideas in our mind about leadership, and we have these sort of grand visions of what leadership is. And so what I want to do just for the next few minutes is I want to debunk those myths about leadership. I want to kind of go through them with you, and we'll examine them together. And I want to debunk them because what all I want to do is just clear the path today, clear the obstacle today for you that are sitting there going, I just don't know if I'm a leader, right? I want to clear those out of the way. Here's the very first myth that we come against. One is great leaders are born, not made. Some of you believe that. Maybe you would never say it like that, but you, in your heart you believe that. You think, look, I am not a born leader. And I know people who are natural born leaders, and I'm not like them. And so therefore, I must not be a leader. I love to read about leaders. I love to read speeches. I love to listen to speeches. I love to watch sermons. This week, I listened to sermons uh, by Tony Evans, Rick Warren, um, uh, who else? John Ortberg. Uh, I, I listened to probably five or six sermons this week just from different, different pastors that I respect and admire. Um, and sometimes I can be sort of tempted to listen to them and to hear how fluidly they speak and to hear the way they put together this expression or that expression. And I'll go, you know, I can't do that. That's not me. Therefore, I must not be a leader. They're a great leader. I can't do what they do. So maybe I'm not a leader. And I think all of us do that, right? Let me ask you this. How many of you recognize this? Anybody know what this is? What's this? It's a Gideon's Bible, right? It's a Gideon's Bible. Uh, members of a group called Gideon's International hand out 80 million of these every year. 80 million every year. And that number is growing, especially in Asia and, and in Africa. That, this number uh, of Bibles that this group hands out is growing. On average, two of these Bibles are handed out every second of every minute of every hour of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year. They get handed out to every second, 24 hours a day, somewhere on the globe. In fact, a year ago, the Gideon's International Group handed out their two, is it 200 billionth? Two billionth, wow, 200 billionth would have been a lot. Two billionth Bible. They handed out their two billionth Bible April of 2015. That's amazing influence that this group has. Every hotel you go into, open the drawer, there's a Gideon's Bible. Walk onto campus, somebody's going to hand you a Gideon's Bible. Huge influence. But the man after whom the Gideon International Group was named was operating under the myth that leaders are born, not made, until God changed his mind. 3,200 years ago, there was a guy whose name was Gideon. And Gideon worked for his dad. His dad was a wheat farmer. And Gideon worked for his dad threshing wheat. And in fact, they were at a time in their life where there was a large tribe called the Midianites. And the Midianites were always coming into Israel and, and burning the crops and killing uh, the livestock and 
you know, just taking over. And Gideon, when we meet Gideon in the scripture, he's, he's hiding in his dad's wine press, threshing wheat. They're hiding out. They're hiding in caves. They're hiding in little hollows. They're, they're, they're hiding out and they're terrified, right? And there was no one in Israel at that time to lead Israel out of the bondage that they were experiencing from the Midianite army. And God comes to this guy named Gideon, who is the, uh, the son of a farmer, and God says, Gideon, you're my man. I want you to take the lead. But Gideon believed that true leaders are born, not made. And so he believed that he was not qualified to be a leader. Here's what he said to God. And I love his answer. He said, pardon me, Lord. Excuse me, because I think you've got the wrong person in mind. He said, how can I save Israel? My clan, he said, is the weakest in Manasseh. Manasseh was his tribe. My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And I'm the least, I'm the weakest in my family. He said, I'm the weakest in my family. My family is the weakest in our clan. Our clan is the weakest in our tribe. And our tribe is the weakest in Israel. I'm the wrong guy. Leaders are born, not made. And I was not born a great leader. I don't have the skills. I don't have the strength. I don't have the chops. I don't have the ability. I don't have the natural born fluidity, the strength, the courage, whatever it is that leaders have. I don't have that. The it. I don't have that. The charisma, I don't have it. I don't have the influence. I don't have any of what I need to be a leader. And this is what God said back to him. The Lord said, I don't care about what you have or what you don't have because I will be with you. The Lord said, I didn't ask you what strengths or natural born abilities you have because it's not about who you are, it's about whose you are. It doesn't matter what power you have, it matters whose presence is in your life. And I'm calling you out to step into your sphere of influence. I'm calling you out to step into your strength, your ability that I am going to assist you with. I'm going to walk along with you. I'm going to be beside of you. Some of you today are afraid to step out into your sphere of influence and begin to influence those people around you towards their higher purpose. You, you, you're in a life where life is happening to you. You're being enacted upon. You are walking through life and things are being directed at you and you only see yourself as someone who absorbs influence from other people. And you don't see yourself as someone who exerts influence on other people. God is saying, I didn't call you to just, just walk through life. I've called you to a higher purpose and I've called you to help other people move towards their higher purpose. And it may be one person, you guys. It may be your child. It may be your colleague. It may be somebody at school. It may be one person. Your sphere of influence may be tiny, but it's still your sphere of influence. And God is with you when you step into it. God wants you to move into that. He wants all of us to become people who are shaping the world around us, not just being shaped by it. The scripture says, be transformed, be transformed, not conformed, be transformed by God. And when you are transformed by God, then you begin to transform your sphere of influence and the people around you. So you do not have to be a natural born leader. This myth is not true. Gideon, who was not a natural born leader, in fact, he was the weakest vessel of the weakest vessel of the weakest vessel. 
And here we are 3,200 years later, 2 billion, right? That have been prompted, that have been influenced by Gideon's leadership. You do not have to be a natural born leader. You have influence. Therefore, you are a leader. Second myth. Leaders are public figures. Now, this is a myth that all of us just, we just absorb this. We just, we just see this. We just, because the leaders that we see, they're public figures. So we just go, leaders must be public figures, right? We mistake loudness for leadership. We're going to leave it right there. And we forget that a lot of great leaders, a lot of great leaders were behind the scenes influencing life in, in, in ways that no one could have ever imagined, no one could have ever expected, and many people don't even know. Um, you guys know the story of Esther, Queen Esther. Uh, it's a great story from the scripture, and uh, it, it, it's a wonderful story about God setting his people free through the influence and leadership of one woman. But there's something you might not know about the story. That Esther's real name was not Esther. That wasn't her real name. She was Jewish, and she was captured by the Persians. She was living in exile. King Xerxes was the king at that time of Persia. Her name was Hadassah. That was her real name. But she didn't want the king to know her real name. You see, she was taken into the royal court, and she was made to be the, king, the queen of King Xerxes. And she didn't want the king to know that she was Jewish. She kept her identity hidden. And at one point, the king issued a decree that all Jewish property is to be confiscated and all Jews in the kingdom are to be exterminated. And Esther, or Hadassah, knew this, but Hadassah did not want to risk stepping out and trying to influence the king for obvious reasons because she's Jewish. She would fall within the, the, the parameters of the edict. She would be killed. She had the title... She had the position, she had the power, but she was afraid to use her influence. She was terrified to use, and who can blame her, right? Because it would have affected her. If she revealed herself and said, hey, I'm Jewish, my name's not Esther, it's Hadassah, please stop, right? There's a very good chance that she would have been killed. But there was another person in the story who had no position, he had no title, he had no formal power, his name was Mordecai. He was Hadassah's Jewish uncle. And when he found out that Hadassah or Esther wasn't going to stand in front of the king and change the course of history, here's what he did. He put a little note together for his niece and he sent it to her. And this is what it said. It said, Hadassah, if you remain silent at this time, relief And deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. Then he said this. And this is one of the famous, most famous quotes in the Bible. He said, who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. He said, listen, Hadassah. Listen, Esther. You've got to step up. You've got to step forward. You've got to lean into this. You've got to exert your influence in this moment. And this is, remember, a person with no no title, no power, no position, an obscure guy living in in the village, and he's the one saying, 
hey, you've got to use your influence. And if you know the story of Esther, you know that she very bravely goes in before King Xerxes and she says, hey, by the way, I'm Jewish. And this edict that you've issued uh, under the influence of this other guy, Haman, uh, this was directed at killing my people, right? And so, uh, you know, of course, the king reverses the edict and the people are saved, right? And everybody knows Esther and she's world-renowned for the influence that she had. She's world-renowned. But really, a lot of that influence was from somebody who was willing to exert their influence and their little sphere of influence. They led, they prompted, they pushed. Mordecai, Mordecai or Mordecai was willing to say, hey, you got to step up. You got to move. And he changed the trajectory of history. We have, at U-City Family Church, we have an army of leaders that are behind the scenes that are exerting their quiet influence all over this church and all over the community. You guys here at our church, you see me up here. You see our music team up here, which is awesome, by the way. Uh, You see um, our elders. Many of you know our elders. You know our our prayer team uh, leaders. You know many of our trustees. But there are a lot of people behind the scenes doing things that you don't know. Stephen Simmons, and I think he's not here today. I think he's at a wedding. He's our guest assistance team leader. He's the guy who organizes uh, a group of men that just sort of keep an eye on things and help assist folks in our church when, when things are needed or when assistance is needed. He's behind the scenes, but he's leading. Dawn Moses is our uh, visual production team leader. She's back in the back. Nobody gets to see her. She doesn't come up here, but she's leading in that team. Uh, Tom Nelson is our setup team leader. Where are you, Tom? There he is, Tom. Yeah, he gets one. He gets one hand. Art, Art is Art's rooting for you, Tom. He's behind the scenes, working, leading, setting up, quietly exerting influence, and creating an environment where people can come and worship and find God. Kisa Dodson is our finance team leader. She, you don't see her. She doesn't make a public splash. She's not on the website. She's behind the scenes, making it happen. Uh, Shauna Gorley, she's our children's uh, check-in team leader. You know, she's upstairs in the family center, making it happen, making a safe environment for our children. Um, Glenn and Narcy Hur that lead our growth track. (laughs) You guys got a round of applause. Making it happen. Debbie Olson, our hospitality team leader. Mother Ray is our baptism team leader. Come on, you know Mother Ray is going to get applause. Bob Wood is our special events and service director coordinator. Ryan Dodson is our sound team leader. He's back there in the back. It's so dark back there. I can't even see him. Can't see it. There you are. I see your hand. There you go. Um, Lois Truman is our children's ministry director. Uh, Dolores Lancaster, is she here today? Dolores, are you here today? She's not here today. She, we don't even have a title for her. But she's leading. She comes into the church during the week, sets up the worship team, gets all their papers ready. She's lead. We don't even know what her title is. We're going to make up a title. She's not here today. We can make up a title. Write her title down on a connection card, and we'll take a vote. Um, they're behind the scenes, you guys, but they're leading the charge. Leadership doesn't start up here. Leadership starts with you. Leadership starts with your ability and your willingness to exert your influence to help other people move forward, take the next step on their spiritual journey, move towards their higher purpose in your respective field of influence. Okay, final myth, third myth. This is something that that I tended to believe 
And that is that leaders are good at everything. My dad was a, a really great pastor. I mean, he was a tremendous, tremendous pastor. And anybody that knew him, and I, you know, if I just write his name on our Facebook feed, I'll get, I'll get you know, 10,000 likes. Because people loved him. Because he was a consummate pastor. And he, was, he seemed to me like he was good at everything. He was a good preacher. He was a good teacher. He would visit people in the hospital. He was a good counselor. He was a good administrator. He was good at finances. He was very organized. He was extremely well-dressed. He had great hair. He was, I mean, he was an athlete. He was, he was a basket. He was such a good basketball player that when he and I played one-on-one, and, and you know, I'm not, let's grant that I'm not a great basketball player, but when he and I played one-on-one basketball, the very first time I beat him was when he was, I want to say, 62, and he had had a quadruple bypass. And then I beat him by one point. I was like, in your face, I totally <laughs> dominated you just now. Um, he was just good at everything. And, and went, I didn't really say that. I, did, I, did, I didn't really say that. Um, I felt it. I thought it. But no. Um, but when I became a pastor, I thought, man, you know, I got to be like him. I've got to be good at everything. And, and so I was always trying to get better at my weaknesses. The things that I wasn't good at, and there are, there are plenty of those things. I kept trying to go, man, I've got to get better at that. And ignoring the gifts and the strengths that God had given me. I don't need to develop those strengths, right? They're, they're fine on their own. I need to develop my weaknesses. That's what I thought. And for a couple years, I just, I was always struggling with that. I was always struggling to try to get better and be like him, you know, be organized and be, you know, administrative and have the great financial wisdom and all. I kept trying to do all of this stuff. And I saw a sermon by uh, Andy Stanley, and it was a great sermon where he talked about the fact that leaders are not good at everything. And and there's a quote he, that that I ripped off from his sermon, and he said this. He said, your fully developed strengths will always be of greater value than your marginally improved weaknesses. And what he's saying is, God gave you specific gifts, specific strengths, particular gifts that are particular to you. And those gifts are for you to develop. Those gifts are for you to discover and develop. And then things that you are not good at, There are other people that are good at those things. There are other people that are really good at those things. Let them develop their strengths. Let them develop their gifts and those things that they're good at that you're not good at. You do what you run on your track. You go where God placed you. You develop your strengths. You develop your gifts. You be you by the power of the Holy Spirit and do the thing that God has designed you to do. And stop trying to be what you can't be. Stop trying to be somebody else. Stop trying to have the strengths that you don't have. Those belong to somebody else. Go down the path. That's why we have a whole ministry. Our our growth track is the the whole specific, explicit goal and point of our growth track is to help you discover your purpose. That's why we have it. Because every single one of us has a purpose. Mark Twain said, the two most important days of your life, the day you were born and the day you discover why. Right? When you begin to understand what your purpose is, what your strength is, what your gift is, and you, begin to dis- and, and you begin to develop that and grow that, that's when you begin to experience the real joy and fulfillment that God has for you, especially when you put that to work for his service. 
When you put that to work to bring glory and honor to him, there's no greater joy in the world than to be tracking on the strengths and gifts that you have to bring glory and honor to God. That's the greatest fulfillment in the world. It's the greatest thing you can possibly do with your life. The Apostle Paul always loved this analogy of the body. He used the the body all the time to explain what the community of believers is like. Uh, And he would say, you know, we're like a body. We're like the body of Christ. And in one passage, he says this. He says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If everybody was like, we need to all be the eyeball, then we wouldn't, there would be no ear and we wouldn't be able to hear. He said, if the whole body were an ear, then where would the sense of smell be? We don't have a nose. Where would we? But in fact, he said, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. He made you the way that he made you because that's the way he wants you to be made. And he wants you to develop those gifts and those strengths and pursue those. He's saying you are indispensable. You have influence in your particular field, in your particular sphere of influence. Develop that. Grow that, build that, and live that out to bring glory and honor to him. So the question is not whether you are a leader. The question is, what kind of leader are you? You are influencing people right now. Today you will influence people. Today you will interact with people in a way that influences them one way or another. From very subtle ways, a smile, a hello a pat on the back, a greeting, an encouragement, to very profound ways, the way you interact with a friend or a parent or a child or a colleague or a, or a, a boss or a subordinate, an employee, right? You will impact people today. You will be impacting people all week. So the question is, what are you going to do with the influence that you have? Where are you going to direct that? How are you going to exert that influence? What are you going to do with that? I'm going to close with this, so Tomiko, you can come up and play for us. Four and a half years ago, we launched U City Family Church. And my hope, the vision that I felt like God had placed in my heart, was that this would be a place where all kinds of people from all walks of life in a very broken city, in a very, in a city that is sort of... Um, People sort of clump to their own. People stick to their own. People, people don't interact, you know, cross, cross ethnic, you know, ethnic or racial or socioeconomic or age uh, ties. I, I, believed that, I believed that we would launch a church where people from all walks of life, black people, white people, Asian people, Hispanic people, Native American people, little tiny babies, you know, teenagers, college students, 20s and 30s, you know, 40s and 50s, all the way up, 80s, 90s. Anybody 100? You're welcome. Come, 100-year-olds. We, want, we wanted a place that would be multi-ethnic, multi-generational, multi-socioeconomic, people with their GEDs and people with their PhDs coming together, worshiping together, loving one another, bringing joy, bringing peace, bringing hope into despair, bringing light into darkness, bringing beauty for ashes, bringing praise for heaviness, transforming our city in a way that our city could never have ever anticipated. I believe that that's what, yeah. I believe, I believe that that's what God was calling us to do. And when I look out at us today, I see that happening. I see see that happening 
And it's because of your leadership. It's because you are willing to step across a threshold. You're willing to step into your sphere of influence. You're willing to cross into into areas that may not be natural for you or comfortable for you. You're willing to break down some barriers. You're, You're willing to open your heart. You're willing to open your mind. You're willing to open your ears and listen to what God is calling you to do and calling you to be. And you're willing to lead other people's people into that. You're a vanguard. You're a leader. This church is a leader. We're leaders in our city. We're leaders in our nation. We're doing things by the power of God through his Holy Spirit that, that, that God ordained at the beginning of time. And we're doing it to bring glory to Jesus, to bring honor to him. The, the scripture says that, that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, every nation will honor him. They'll praise him. They'll worship him. We're beginning to create that by his spirit, by his strength. Because you're willing to exert your influence on your friends and on your colleagues and on your co-workers and on your fellow students and on your children and on your parents and on your siblings. You're willing to step into that. You're willing to lead. You're willing to take that step to help other people direct towards their, be directed towards their higher purpose, to help them take the next step on their spiritual journey. You're doing that. And God is honoring that. And God is blessing that. Here's our application for today. I like to give you guys some nuts and bolts at the end of this so you can just say, all right, here's what I'm going to do. In your bulletin, if you open your bulletin, there are some lines with some colons in between the lines. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Get out a pen or a pencil or borrow one and write down three names of people that you have influence over, people that you influence on a regular basis. It might be a person at work, might be a person at your school, might be a person in your home, it might be a person in your neighborhood, might be a person in your family. Write down three names, and then next to those names, write down one thing that you will commit to either do or say to that person this week that will help lead them towards their higher purpose that will help encourage them towards their higher purpose, that will help take them one step closer to what God has called them to be. It may be just a word of encouragement. You're gonna call somebody and say, hey, I'm praying for you. I'm thinking about you. I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be strengthened. It may be, it may be that you're gonna, you write down their name and right next to it, you say, listen. I'm gonna listen to this person. I'm gonna call this person and ask them how they're doing. It might be that you're gonna invite somebody to church or to your life group It might be that you're just willing to to step into your office and address a wrong that's being done that needs to be addressed. Or you're going to have the courage, like Gideon, even though you think you're the weakest vessel, to step out and say, hey, you know what, I'm going to stand up for what's right today. I'm going to do it. Somebody in my office is, is, is saying something that's not right. I'm going to go talk to them. I'm going to address it. Right? I'm going to I'm going to stand up for what's right. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to stand up for what's right. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to lead out. I'm going to take the lead. I'm going to influence other people by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because leadership, you guys, and I mean this, it does not start here. It doesn't start on the stage. It doesn't start in the spotlight. It doesn't start in the Oval Office. It doesn't start in the governor's seat. It doesn't start with CEOs and kings and princes. It doesn't start there. 
starts with you. It starts with you. It starts with you in your home. It starts with you in your school. It starts with you in your office. It starts with you on your job. So what are you going to do in the sphere of influence that God has given you? What kind of influence are you going to exert on those around you? What kind of leader are you going to be? I believe that over the next few weeks, we can all just take that next step together. Next step leadership together. We can all just start to walk and develop and grow and take the next step into our leadership, the sphere of influence that God has given us. What kind of leader are you going to be? Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, we know that your word is is powerful. It's like a two-edged sword that cuts very cleanly and it performs surgery on us. It extracts those things that shouldn't be there and it heals those things that should be there. Father, we ask that your word today and your spirit enter into our lives, enter into our hearts and give us the courage and the faith and the strength and the wisdom to not, to not shrink back, to not wither back, to not wilt under the pressure of life, but to lean into it, to step into it, to take the next step ourselves on the path that you would have us go, and then to exert that influence and exert that leadership into the lives of those around us. God, we know that you've called us to more than just getting by. You've called us to a higher purpose. You've called us to be your people. You've called us to create and to build your kingdom. A kingdom of love and mercy and forgiveness. A kingdom where, where beauty is, re, is replacing ashes. And praise is replacing heaviness. And joy is replacing mourning. God, let us be your people. Let us Let us have your strength in us. Help us to lead. When we're afraid, help us to lead. When we're tired, help us to lead. When we're disappointed, help us to lead. When we're despondent, help us to lead. Whatever is going on in our life, God, let us see our purpose bigger and brighter than ever before. And let us take the next step in our leadership, God. Let us be your people. Let us be your body collectively. All of us, an individual thread in the fabric of of, of, of the community that you've built. Let us grow together. Let us strengthen one another, God, and let us go out and bring hope and peace and transformation into our very broken city, into our very broken world. Father, to you be all the glory, be all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.